Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hey guys, this is Kim Lapree from the Teachers Need Teachers Podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Be sure to check out all of the other amazing podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to episode 65 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, folks, we have some goodies for you. So um, we are, are talking a little bit about some turkey, I think, um, maybe some turkey day coming our way here. And, you know, Google likes to have some fun around the holidays. So we have our uh, Google News and Updates and some mailbag and feedback from the listeners. That would be you. And of course, a few things on the blog. But our featured content today is going to be a very special interview with someone who is near and dear to my heart, Pam Hubler. Pam is an instructional coach from Charleston, South Carolina. She's another Southern belle that uh, speaks my language, and I think you're going to love what she has to share. She is also a Google certified trainer, and she gets super googly with it. So um, I think this is going to be a really fun episode, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited. Did I say it? Super excited to to have her on. I've gotten to meet Pam at the FETC conference, and she is full of all sorts of fantastic ideas. All right. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. So, Tribe, we are going to kick off news and updates with a little bit of Thanksgiving news that relates to Google Maps. Um, I know at least here in the United States, Thanksgiving is coming up as of the recording of this episode and when it's going to go live. And there is an interesting correlation or connection, whatever word you want to use, between Google Maps and Thanksgiving. There is a post that says, don't be a turkey. Use Google Maps to avoid traffic and crowds this Thanksgiving. This is pretty useful um, for all of us in our regular lives. I'm sure there are connections to education, but this is so good that we had to share it with you. One of the interesting things about Google Maps is that it collects all of this data about traffic and where people are. And so they can figure out what times things are busy. You can even see this in your Google Maps app. Uh, whenever you look for a restaurant or someplace to shop, a lot of times it will show when the place is the busiest. And so they've taken all of that data and they've given us some really good actionable tips for Thanksgiving. So brace yourself 
here we go. It says that, unsurprisingly, the day before Thanksgiving between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m. is the worst time to hit the road. Traffic is crazy. But traffic clears up significantly by 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. So after Thanksgiving, your best bet to avoid the Friday and Sunday afternoon rush is by leaving in the morning when there are significantly less cars on the road. If you're going to be traveling Thanksgiving, you're welcome. Then it says the crowds are largest during Thanksgiving week at these different locations. So get this. This is fascinating, I think. So on Wednesday around noon bakeries are busiest. Now remember Thanksgiving is Thursday, Black Friday, the big shopping day is Friday. Wednesday around noon, that's when people are picking up their sweet treats for Thanksgiving. The liquor stores are the busiest between noon and (laughs) on Wednesday. So that evening, that Wednesday evening, that's when the lines are supposed to be longest for the liquor store. Get your Ooh. liquor early, folks. <laughs> yes, that's right. There's your big, yeah, your big Google Teacher Tribe chip. Trip, chip. Oh. I totally leave it all over that. It's saying, yep, get your liquor early. The movie theaters get busiest on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, in the afternoon and evening. So anyway, some some interesting things that that you learn there. Um, you can avoid the lines and search for places along your route and everything. If you use the Google Maps app, it's got even more suggestions on how to make the most of it during the Thanksgiving season. And you can find that in our show notes. I love it. I love being able to use maps to help me get around, especially when things get so crazy like they do this time of year. Now, um, to play off of that, there is also a post from the keyword blog about using your smart home with the Google Assistant to help you over the holidays. And so I think these are some really fun ideas. Again, this is more of a personal touch than than some of the things we usually talk about, but so many people are so interested in what's going on with the Google Assistant. I thought this would be fun to share So one of the things that you can use the um, Google Home Hub, the new hub, or the Lenovo Smart Display, and now, you know, JBL's jumping in. There's all these new um, hubs that they're making with the screens, and um, it it will help you when you're cooking to make a great meal, which I think is fantastic, right? You can look up recipes, but even better is it gets smarter. So it will get updated with recommendations based on the nearest mealtime or whatever season it happens to be. So Thanksgiving, of course, you're going to get lots of turkey and pumpkin kind of things. And then then it's going to switch over to the Christmassy stuff and all of that. So I, I think that's that's um, actually really cool. And I need all the help I can get in the kitchen. So I will take it. Um, the other thing that's really cool is you can set up uh, what they call daily habits as a family. So you can um, have your Google Assistant on your smart speakers set alarms um, to do different things. So to make the bed or to pick up the toys or to get started on the homework, those sorts of things. But you can also do some fun things with it, like add some signature music, jokes, um, 
fun messages from Lego City or your Lego Aww. friends. Yeah, um, they've even got some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in there. Um, yes, mm. we can hear from Leonardo uh, <laughs> if we want to. It's, it's all coming back, isn't it? Um, yes, it Calabunga, is. dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> moving on. Sorry, this is a long article and there's a ton of stuff in it, including some yeah. things new that's coming to Android phones um, on the Google Assistant on your phone, you can now set up um, some routines using the clock, like turning on your coffee maker, having it tell you the weather and traffic on your commute to work and having it do all of those things, you know, like in a synchronous order for you. So super cool. You can check that out in our show notes, show notes, show notes. <laughs> Apparently it's, it's catching whatever that thing is, Matt. Um, show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 65. Okay, y'all. I am super excited to introduce today's guest. Um, we have someone that we want to introduce to you that you probably already know, Pam Hubler. She is special techie on Twitter, and she's also very involved in the Ditch Book community and the Shake Up Learning community. And she is near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to try not to gush because I love this woman. She is fantastic. What she does and what she shares as an instructional coach in Charleston, South Carolina is amazing. And I really think that um, not only those of you who are also in that tech coach position, you're going to get lots of ideas from Pam, but I think she's going to give um, just about any kind of teacher lots of fabulous ideas and ways that you can use G Suite tools in your daily routine. So Pam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. You're going to make me cry, Casey. <laughs> I told you I'm trying not to gush now. Um, so would you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do? All right. Well, as you said, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I'm an instructional coach. And the school that I am at is a K through eight school. So it's a unique uh, position. Um, and I basically, I'm there as a reading coach and literacy, basically everything, but, and then technology just happens to be my strength. So it works out well to kind of have the two together. Um, and I really do think that the teachers need that. So they often come to me for that first and then the other stuff kind of comes along with it. Yeah, that's what you want. You know, even anybody can learn the technology, but when you're giving them the foundation, and I know you have a lot of background in UDL and everything else as well. So um, I think that's fantastic. Now, you're also um, Google Certified Educator, Level 1, 2, and Trainer. So you get pretty googly. I do. I, I really do geek out a little bit. And there are times where people have to kind of bring me back a little and be like, no, we're not. We're not going to say Google in this conversation yeah. <laughs> and it's actually really hard to do <laughs> i can only yeah imagine. i would have a hard yeah i'd have a hard time with that <laughs> yeah yeah now one thing that i've that i've seen about you is that one way that you use google in the classroom and in your in your day-to-day -day is for documentation um you know using forms uh sheets or even um you know, slides and drawings and all that, but you've got, you've got some ways that you use it for documentation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? One thing that I do every day is go through my, um, I have a Google sheet that's set up um, basically like a calendar 
just because I really find it hard to add every little thing I do into a calendar. And I have it set up and I think I have that shared with you guys. Do you have that? Yes. I think you gave it to us in your resource page, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. Okay. I just want to make sure you have it. Um, yeah. So I do use that every day and it just kind of keeps track of what I do. And I also color code that. So that way I know if it's classroom instruction that I'm doing, if it's um, office work or if it is um, doing testing or just all those different categories that you kind of do throughout the day. And it's just a great visual. And then I can always share that easily. Um, so that's just one of the tools I use. I mean, there's there's something to be said about using Google Calendar, and I do, and I bet that you probably do too. But having this spreadsheet, it seems like with the color coding and everything, you can totally see at a glance and then customize it a little bit better than you probably could with Google Calendar, I'm guessing. Is that the reason that, that this one came to be? Yes, that. And when I look at a calendar and you know how when you have a lot of events going on and you look at it by the month, you have to oh. kind of look at it in a shrunken. It's just hard to look mm-hmm. at it as a month where you can see mm-hmm. everything. So this was one way where I could kind of scroll across and see what was going on and knowing where my where the holes were, where I could actually add something into as far as going into a classroom or um, just knowing when I have some extra time. And then with the mileage piece that I added, that was because I had last year when I started using it, I had eight schools. So I had to track my mileage as well. So I kind of put that in between. So I knew where I was going and just for location wise, whether or not, okay, is that even possible to get to that school and that school in one day? That's a great idea. And you've got the little notes column on the side too, which, you know, obviously if you used calendar for this kind of thing, that wouldn't, you wouldn't have that. And I love with all of the color coding, you've got different little tabs here that says what all of the colors are. This is, this is brilliant. And by the way, if you want to see this um, and see an example of what uh, Pam's been talking about here, you can go to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 65. And there's an image there and a link. Yes, Pam has shared an entire Google Doc with us with all of her resources, and this tracker is fabulous. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper into some of the things that you do um, to support the teachers on your campus. So obviously, using this tracker in Google Sheets is, is going to help keep you organized, help you know where you need to go. And I completely understand my first year as a coach, I had 11 campuses, and we were spread out over 200 square miles. And it was impossible to get from one campus to another on certain days. So um, I completely get that. But I see too that um, you are involved in PLCs, training. So um, can you share with us a little bit of, about your day-to-day? Because the, the role of the tech coach or instructional coach, you know, whatever title it happens to be, looks very different in different schools. So I think that'll give everybody a little bit of context. Yes. Um, well, PLCs are probably a, a primary um, just because that is the time where we can go through and meet as a grade level. And whether it's looking at assessments or looking at how the kids are doing in class and just problem solving, planning, any part of just good instruction. Um, and the teachers guide most of it. And I just kind of facilitate. Um, and it depends on where they are in their, you know, we have um, unit planning organizers that we kind of have for the district that make it a little easier to know where we are 
um, in each unit. And when we go through those, we look at assessments. And um, when it comes to planning, it makes it much easier when we get together in PLC to look at that together and see what we have, what we need, um, how the kids are doing, what, how they were doing from the first unit to the second, what we need to move. So that's part of it, just the PLC time. Um, and then we also have, um, of course, classroom time where I can go into the classroom and whether it's modeling a lesson or since I do technology also, um, I will go in and demo a lesson as far as we have Chromebooks one-to-one, -one, which is really nice. Um, but the younger grades are K1 and 2 have um, iPads. And we have a couple teachers that just got carts of Chromebooks. So they're really into or interested in getting um, into those and see how it works with the younger kids. So they're the ones right now that are, can you please come in and show them? Just they don't even know how to log in. How do we log in? Just that kind of a thing. So that's part of the day to day. Um, and then, you know, there's testing, unfortunately, but I usually just kind of organize it. Um, I do use a Google Calendar for that. Of course. <laughs> I set up times um, with the slots where they can pick a time, hour-long um, slots, um, and they pick their times when they want to do it, and I just make sure that they're logged in for the day because I can't spend the whole day in the lab that we set up, but we do set up the Chromebooks because it's much easier to use for the kids. Uh, so we just set up a lab. I have it set up on a calendar, and they pick their times, and the feedback that I've gotten is that they really like it because then – they don't have to worry about field trips or lunch or recess or those little things that, you know, happen on a day to day basis um, that they can work around it. And it's their choice when they're going in. But they know what times are available because if somebody already took a slot, it goes away. Love that. That's awesome. Now, I did notice that you are a big fan, as Casey and I am, of Google Keep. I believe, okay, correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Google Slides is the Swiss Army knife. And isn't Google Keep the Instapot, Casey? <laughs> it's the Instant Pot. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so yeah, the Instant Pot of of the G Suite universe. And so uh, I kind of like the, the, the little tip that you've got where you've got some, some GIFs or GIFs uh, included in your notes and some of the ways that you use that. So I thought that maybe you could share with us just some of the ways that that makes your life a little bit easier. Oh my gosh, I love Google Keep. And the new um, toolbar that they added where it has the calendar and the and um, Keep and the tasks, that is amazing because then when I'm in, even when I'm in this tracker, I can pop that open and whether I look at my to-do list that way, which is what I use with Google Keep, or even I can click on the calendar and it's my actual Google Calendar so I can see if there's anything I need to move over into that, you know, month long view that I can look at. So, and I think I shared the, um, I use two sticky notes cause you know, we can have a million of them. I use one that has urgent at the top and I found this cute little gif, gif, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> that says urgent. And I put that at the top of one of the checkbox, um, keep notes. And then I use that and I pin it to the top so that way I can always see it first. I use that for the ones that I have to do immediately. And then I have a second note that is, um, it says soon, and I use a Bitmoji image for that, where you could see my eyeballs, and it says soon across the top. And <laughs> I put that at the top and pin it as well. So if it's just a thought that I want to do soon, but it's not super urgent, I'll put it there. And so then I have those two notes that I can always see easily. 
and I share it with my personal Gmail because we're one of those districts that does Google everything except Gmail. So I share it with my personal Gmail account so when I open my phone, um, my Android phone, I can use the widget that has the Google Keep widget and I can see the same notes. No matter what device I'm on, I can see it. I love it. And I love using those images to sort of visually give you those cues. I think that's one of my favorite features of Google Keep. And so I'm looking at Pam's little resource page right now. So I see her tracker. And then now we have those little sidebar shortcuts. So she has one where she's opened Google Calendar. And then in the other screenshot, she's she's got Google Keep. So not only is she using this tracker and viewing the calendar at the same time, but she's also got that in, in the Google Keep. So we got some G Suite app smashing going on here. I love <laughs> sure. it, yeah. And yes, I did get yes. the image, the image at the top. I got that idea from you guys. And I think it was, I forget which episode it was, but it was a really long time ago when you showed about the pictures. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I think I had a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the time, but then that was too hard to keep up with. So I just went with urgent and soon. I like it. You got to you got to simplify sometimes, yes. don't we? Yeah. And you also um keep a a Google site for your teachers to support them and and give resources. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. And that one I started um I found out I was switching from the position I had last year to the instructional coach position this year um at the end of last school year, but I had plenty of time, so I got a little geeky and started kind of gathering all those resources that um, as a teacher, I knew I needed to find in one place. Um, And I don't know if every district is the same, but I feel like they are when it comes to finding things on what they might call their portal or just that that district site where everything is. It is so hard to find what you're looking for quickly that I decided that I needed to kind of get all those things that you would use every day and kind of put it together in one place. And if something comes up in one of our PLCs or one of our meetings that they ask, where is that? I can't find it. Then I always make sure to add that to my site. So it always changes. Um, but for the most part, the layout and the structure of it stays the same. I think that's something that we all struggle with, you know, is is trying to create the perfect resource for our teachers, which is a, a moving target. But um, I think this is a, a great place. And I think that's what makes this a powerful conversation is that these groups can come together and support each other and maybe able to share these resources and these sites with each other as well. So I, I'm willing to bet you're going to give um, some other coaches out there some ideas. I hope so. Sharing is caring. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Um, I had one more thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, what you what you believe in and what you think is really, really good when it comes to good professional development. Because I know that, you know, good learning is good learning to some extent across the board. And sometimes, and I know we've all seen egregious uses of this where we we do trainings with teachers that are so not best practices. And we'll stand up there and we'll lecture and, you know, people will do that. But then they're saying, oh, but you've got to do these innovative different things. You got to do these best practices with kids. And they're not doing it in front of the group. And so I wanted to just throw that out to you and see, what do you believe in when it comes to good, solid professional development? I want to say the first thing is having that choice. And when it comes to what teachers need, I do like to start a um, 
just kind of a quick, usually using Google Forms, um, a survey that says, you know, like, what do you need? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Just as much feedback as I can get before we even start. Um, so that way, when we do come together for a training, then I know how to guide it. Because it might be all of, everyone needs the same thing. And then I might change it where I do something where they work together or I do a little mini session and then they work and then we go back together and share it just depending on the needs of the teachers um, can determine as far as how we how we provide it and the we're going to start using our um, we have early release days every I guess once a month uh, Wednesday afternoon and this actually this end of November we're going to start doing it where it had kind of has like an hour an hour an hour you know I think we might have a three three hours total um, or maybe even four, where we can do one is like a book study time. One, they kind of have a free choice. They can do planning. They can go to this session. We've got a teacher that's going to do a beginning robotics. We have a teacher that wanted to do tableaus in the classroom because we're a STEAM school. Um, I, of course, will do a Google training um, and then probably another one for um, guided reading. So the, just giving them choices and making it kind of ed camp style where they can kind of pick where they're going. Um, that's one way we're going to do that. So it just, it really just depends on what their needs are, but making sure to always listen to what their needs are and then checking and adjusting during and then following up afterwards, um, as far as another, and I do usually, I do like a follow-up survey just saying, you know, did you get what you needed? Um, based on that, is there, what else do you need? What's your next step? Sometimes we'll even set a goal before we leave our professional development. So that way I know how to follow up or what else they need or what they didn't get during the session. Yeah, I think that is fantastic. And I think this hits on something else that I, I know I struggled with and most of the, the coaches that I still work with still have this problem. So you mentioned earlier um, that you do get to go into classrooms, model and, and co-teach, right? With teachers. Yeah. So one of the things that, especially when someone is new to that position, how how welcoming are the teachers to this idea? How 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 are you getting into classrooms and getting teachers to be open and not threatened by that? That's a good question. Um, obviously, relationships are super important, and I we've had a lot of conversations with other coaches in our district um, that talking about like coaching heavy, coaching light, and but building those relationships, without that, you, you really can mess things up. Because <laughs> um, we're not evaluators. We're there just to help the teachers. We're not, um, we just want to help them and the kids to make sure that, you know, they're getting what they need, but teachers need, you know, need support also. Um, so that's part of it. And then making sure, we just had a PLC the other day with one of our district um, coordinators talking about guided reading and what their strengths were and what they thought their opportunities were for growth were. And we did a survey asking, would you be okay with other teachers coming in to see this area because it is a strength for you? Um, and based on that, that that'll be my starting place as far as, you know, starting with those teachers that are willing for teachers to come in and I would be, I would be one of them. And then in the areas of opportunities for growth, that's another area where we have a yes, maybe that kind of a thing as far as modeling a lesson, but then giving them kind of a menu of options of how can I support you? 
would you like to see a lesson? Would you like to go into another teacher's classroom to see it in action because they're great at it? Or just giving them those options so that way we're not stepping on toes and not, um, I don't know, I don't want to scare anybody and I don't want to ruin any oh. relationships before they've even started. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that menu idea because it is. And there's some teachers who are, are just going to be reluctant. They're going to, they're going to be hard, hard nuts to crack. So, um, no, those are fantastic tips. I love that. All right. Well, Pam, this has been amazing. We're so glad that we we got you on here. I think you've given so much value to the tribe here in some very practical things that we can do. And also just kind of a glimpse into one other, um, you know, professional development provider and instructional coaches life. And it's always good to see that. So thank you so much for all you've done. And um, if people want to get in contact with you and find out more about you, what's the best way? Um, Twitter is definitely the best. And um, like you said, it's at special techie. Um, I do have an Instagram account. Um, it's, I think I wrote it down. I honestly don't use it that much. <laughs> um, so Twitter is the best we'll link place. We'll to it in the show notes. How about and, that? Yes, that's perfect. And then I do have a blog and it's fedtechgeek.com. Uh, so I can always comment there and I'll comment back. Um, so those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. But thank you so much for this time too. I'm like honored to even be a part of this because I've listened to you guys ever since you started. And um, I think I even, I did a post to share uh, my success story uh, that Casey did. And I was, it, it was like, I listened to Casey every week. And I feel like when I actually saw her the other day, when we did our video, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I've known you for years. So yes, yes. It's like, it, it's so interesting how our relationships grow online and how you how you yes. feel about people. So um, I, yeah, I love being a connected educator. I love you, Pam. I think these tips are fantastic. And I, I think it's also hitting on a little bit, a, a different topic here that we haven't really hit before in the tribe. So thank you so much for offering your insight today. Thank you guys both so much. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right, it is time to dig into the mailbag. We've got lots of great stuff from all of you in the tribe, which we love to hear. And we've got a couple of really good ones we're going to feature today. Here's the first one. This comes from Linda Hummer from Ohio. And Linda says, thank you for all that you do. I love listening to the podcast and trying out the ideas that you share. I have an app smash. The new, she says, use the new closed captioning feature in slides along with Screencastify. Now, what she's talking about, if you didn't hear about this in an earlier episode, we were talking about this new closed caption feature where if you have a Google Slides presentation and you start to present it, there is a closed caption button. And once you click it, your microphone is activated and it starts to listen to the speaker's voice and then transcribe the speaker's voice right there on the screen. So it's basically like a live closed captioning, which is pretty awesome. Um, I know it's been rolling out to, uh, to Google users. Hopefully you've got it by now, but if you don't, it is definitely coming. Um, and so she says, students that are shy or not comfortable talking in front of the class could record themselves ahead of time and then have it played during class or the teacher can view when they have time. And then this will also help the teacher when they're accessing the project there are times when you're grading while students are presenting that you miss things and having the video to replay shows what they would uh, showing what they said would be extremely helpful. And then, of course, Linda says, use the closed caption feature in there and then you've got all of the words down at the bottom of it. So 
Now it's the presentation, but it's also got closed captions. And even though those closed captions aren't perfect, it's not an exact uh, transcription, it does a really pretty good job. So anyway, pretty good little app smash there, pretty easy one to use. And the free version of Screencastify totally works with that. So thank you, Linda, for passing that along. That's great. I love seeing both of those features used together. And of course, we've talked, I think, so much about slides and Screencastify in general on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. such a, a huge topic with the tribe. I have a speak pipe that I would love to share with our listeners. It's a really good question. And this is coming from Joel, who is a G Suite admin, but he's he's got some teachers who are struggling with some classroom management. So take it away, Joel. Hi, Matt and Casey. Since I am a G Suite admin for our small school, a teacher came to me complaining about students using Google Classroom Stream during class time to say things which were neither constructive nor appropriate. It's also so easy for some students during class time to navigate to their own games and websites, which have nothing to do with what is being taught. Is there a way to monitor this, which doesn't turn the teacher into a micromanaging control freak or detract from quality teaching time? Thanks. Okay, I feel like this is a really like opportune moment to touch on something we probably don't talk enough about, and that is, you know, classroom management when it comes to using technology in the classroom. And um, I have my own philosophy that is not necessarily what everyone else agrees with. But um, for one, I would tell this teacher, Joel, or tell your teachers that you can mute students in Google Classroom. So instead of taking away the feature that could be very useful for collaboration and communicating with your students and something that actually could contribute to the learning, instead of turning that off for all students, which is something that I really don't like to do, I would manage it like I would any other behavior in the classroom. And so every teacher has their own classroom management style. So I feel like what works for one teacher doesn't always work for the other teacher. But, you know, I would also come back to, well, what do you do when a student says something inappropriate in front of the class? You know, what what are what are the things that you do and what are the strategies that you have in place? Because those things still happen too. technology didn't just give us behavior problems. We've had behavior problems before. So, you know, I think it's it's really learning and, and taking those strategies to another level. I know with my students, it was also something they were very likely to report on each other and let me know when someone was abusing something online or in some place that I wasn't necessarily watching every move that they make because, um, you know, we can't be everywhere and looking at every screen every second. Um, all we can do is try to protect them from the really bad stuff, but show them how to use these things for learning. But I, you know, like I say, I hesitate to take away um, so many of the features. Now, uh, and there's a lot of teachers out there who probably disagree because I get so many posts like, turn it off, don't let them post, don't let them comment, don't let them mm-hmm. do anything. And um, for me, I feel like that's a teachable moment. I feel like giving students an opportunity to show them and model for them the appropriate use. There is a digital citizenship skill that they need. So um, I, you know, I'd love to hear what other people in the tribe have done in how you manage 
behaviors like this, oftentimes I find that if you're doing something that's engaging and that students really want to contribute to, the threat of actually losing that and having to do an alternative assignment can also be um, something that can deter that as well. But again, you don't want them to miss out on the learning experience just because of a behavior. So it's a hard question to answer. So I would love to hear what other people are doing out there and how you're managing behavior when it comes to using online resources like this. Yeah, I, I totally echo all of this. And I think that this is, this is a real thing. And it's something that, that I think we need to discuss more. But I'm with you, Casey. I think if we can avoid blocking altogether, I know every once in a while that's, that seems to be the only way to go about it. But if we can avoid blocking and teach life lessons, I think that's, that's definitely a good way to go about that. And, of course, uh, anything that we've been talking about in this episode, uh, feel free to jump on over to our show notes to check it out at googleteachertribe.com slash 65. Okay, Tribe, it's time to see what's been going on on the blogs. And today I want to share with you a post that's been brewing in my mind for the last couple months. And um, so it's an idea that I've had since we got the updates to Google Classroom. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I really wasn't feeling confident when that I could make it clear what I was talking about and if teachers would use it. But I had a conversation in the Shake Up Learning Facebook group and other people started talking about a similar idea. So I was like, okay, I am on to something here. So I have to get this published. And it gave me the nudge that I needed, which is really what I love about being a connected educator, that sometimes we um, can help validate each other's ideas and um, make sure that we're, you know, helping and supporting each other. So so thank you um, to the Shake Up Learning community for doing that for me. But this post is called How to Create a Class Template in Google Classroom. So, you know, what if I told you that you could create a class with assignments, with topics, all set up and pretty the way you like it, and you could reuse it over and over again. So one of the updates that we got, you know, a couple of months ago when we had the, the big updates to Google Classroom was the ability to copy an entire class. So especially now that we have <laughs> so much frustration around the whole topics and moving the topics to the top and getting it just right, everybody sort of developed their own preferences on how you like to use Classroom, which is great because that's what's nice about being able to customize it. But when it comes time to start your new class, if you start one, say, next semester, you're like, oh, I got to do it all over again. I got to create it again. So if you create a class inside of Google Classroom that is just used as your template, you can have everything ready to go. And then all of your assignments will be saved as drafts. And you just start scheduling them. So mm. it can save you a ton of time in in terms of class setup. So I feel like the more intricate and complicated classroom gets, which which is giving us features that we want, but it also can take more time to set up. So I created some step-by-step -step directions that include telling you exactly what copies and what doesn't. So your title, section, description, the course subject, your topics, and then the posts that are on the classwork page. All of those things copy over, but um, your assignments are drafts with no scheduled date. So they're all going to be grayed out when you look at it. 
but that makes it even easier just to reuse those. So um, I, I created some screenshots and some step-by-step directions. So I hope this is helpful. I really hope this helps save you some time in terms of creating classes in Google Classroom. Oh, this looks really good. This is like, it's like all of that stuff that you've got to do repetitively over and over again, just like, boom, it's done. That's pretty brilliant. All right. So another one that I've got to share with you today is yet another, you know how we're kind of obsessed with Google Slides here recently. Um, (laughs) I keep having all of these, like these brainstorm, like these bolt of lightning flash of, you know, I don't want to say brilliance because it wasn't like brilliant, but it was like this, this like idea just kind of sprung upon me. Um, I've been working on here. We'll do a little um, minor announcement here because I've already uh, said this on my uh, email newsletter and out on Twitter, but I am in the process of writing a book. I'm writing, right, right. I'm writing my third book. There was Ditch That Textbook. Then there was Ditch That Homework with Alice Keeler. And now, drumroll please. I am, oh, that was good. Um, I am writing Tech Like a Pirate. If you're familiar with this book, Teach Like a Pirate, this is how to use technology to create a memorable learning experience. And so I've been big into brainstorming and organizing and putting the outline together. And I started to get some of my ideas out and I was going to use sticky notes. And so I wrote the first sticky note and I stuck it up on the wall and it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, this is kind of silly if I'm going to have to take all these sticky notes down because, you know, especially if I put it up in a common area in my house, my family is going to be like, you are not leaving those sticky notes there. So I'd have to take them down. I started thinking, whoa, Google Slides. What if I create a great big slide because you can resize the slides and I use the shapes and there's actually a sticky note shape. And so I put the sticky note on there. I put some little arrows so that I could show kind of the flow of the way the chapters are supposed to run. And boom, all of a sudden I've got this sticky note uh, organizer template. And I thought this would be great for lesson planning. It would be great for brainstorming speeches and uh, reports that students might need to write or doing a brain dump or whatever. I mean, it's kind of in a a familiar way uh, to the way that we do this anyway. But you have unlimited sticky notes. You have unlimited colors. And once you put them up there, you don't have to take them down. So like there's a gust of wind or a cat or something that messes with your sticky notes. <laughs> totally, totally avoid all of that. So, Do you have anyway, a cat? I don't, but I can imagine with the cats that I have met in my life that a cat would walk around sticky notes. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Gotcha. So, yeah. So anyway, there's a template there on the, um, on the blog post and uh, some suggestions of how to use it and how I made it and everything. So feel free to go check it out if you'd like to. All right, Tribe, what a great episode this was, right? I mean, didn't Pam really bring it? She touched on a lot of our favorites. We got some Google Keep. We got some Google Sheets. We got all sorts of things and got to hear kind of like the heart of another good, you know, trainer and instructional coach and everything. So if that's your role, that was probably, she was probably speaking your language, I bet. So um, this was a good one, wasn't it, Casey? Oh, yeah. This one was super fun. I had to 
I had to hold myself back, y'all, because I could talk about this all day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again so much for joining us for another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe. Um, if you haven't done so yet and would consider leaving us a rating and or a review, and or I'll just say rating and review. <laughs> a rating and review on do iTunes. Do it all. <laughs> do it all. That's right. That would be great. And it does help other people to be able to find the show. Um, and of course, please do be in touch. Uh, go to googleteachertribe.com and leave us some feedback and get in touch with us so we can hear from you. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Hey there, tribe. I have a really special opportunity that I want to share with you. I teach three online courses to help educators get Google certified. So there's a level one course, a level two course, and a certified trainer course. Now, here's the catch. I only open these courses twice a year. So they open in May right before we get out for the summer break, and they open in November, right before we have some of our winter break opportunities. So I wanted to be sure to let you know as a member of the tribe that this opportunity is opening on November 20th. All three courses will open for enrollment. They are fully self-paced, so you go at the pace that works for you. They're video-based. I will walk you through each step, each skill, everything that you need to know, whether you're trying to pass the level one and level two exam, or if you're working on that trainer skills assessment, the application, the video, all of those processes. I have been through it time and time again, and I have tons of tips, tricks, and resources to share with you. So if you're interested, go to get googlecertified.com and I will do my very best to help you on your journey to becoming Google certified. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com, and I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.